Welcome to episode 10, the final episode in season one of the Bowtie and Blondie podcast. Thanks for joining us. As always, we're very pleased to have you. In this final episode, we have all the usual sections, including two awesomely interesting science articles from this week, the lame science jokes, and Katie's fact of the week. Hey, Katie. Hello, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. Enjoying this lovely weather. Isn't it gorgeous? So That's nice. Amazing. Very hot, yeah. but very high pollen. Yeah, it is. Yeah, crazy. If you if you were it's grass pollen season at the moment yeah. as well, which is the worst. But if you were going to have if you were to pick a, a a period of time and weather to to have to be forced into lockdown, I mean, I think yeah, you couldn't have got you couldn't have asked for a, a better weather. Really, it's been stunning, and it's it's certainly made looking after children a little bit easier in terms of being able to go outside and do things in the garden and stuff. Yeah, definitely. My niece and nephew have just spent so much time outside. It's yeah. it must be really good for them from that perspective, you know, having the top the space in the garden because. Yeah, like you say, if it was like depths of winter, horrible, wet and windy, yeah, 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 you'd be so so much more limited. Yeah, Ethan's got a really nice tan as well at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> he, he tans so easily, and he's been out in the garden so much. He's got a really nice golden tan. Oh, that's not fair! I don't tan; I just burn. It's my my yeah, nice fair right. skin. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure where he gets it from. Maybe deep down in my genetic history, there's some Mediterranean genes that have been Maybe. expressed. Maybe. Yeah. So what have you been up to this week? Uh, so this week, uh, I've been just carrying on with my hobbies, if you like. Uh, although I did actually sit down and watch a movie. I know it's a first for me. <laughs> uh, it's an anime called Ninu Kuni. It's based on a okay. series of games that I played on the PlayStation, which were really good. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was good recommend awesome. Awesome. how about you good stuff um well because it's half term it's been nice that I haven't had any work to do really or le- lessons to plan and deliver so i've used that time sort of do it, jobs done around the house i've been um sorting out the decking so i've cleaned it all off and sanded it down i've been repainting the decking and uh I've uh, been doing um, odd jobs around the house, bits and pieces, uh, even putting his TV up on the wall and things like that. So mainly just odds and sods, really. Mm. Uh, get, it's weird that half about... them still goes really, really quickly, right? <laughs> it does, yeah. It flies by, yeah, I know. Yeah, Because yeah. So we've had these online lessons, it kind of, it, it generally does feel like a half term. I think yeah. maybe for teachers in schools that don't have the the online lessons this week probably doesn't feel hugely different but where we've sort of settled into a teaching routine f- with the online learning this week de- does feel like a normal half term like a, you know a week off and that's quite nice yeah. actually it's quite good yeah okay so we've got uh articles to go through two really interesting ones this week uh to wrap up this season um, so you want to jump in first with your article, Katie? Yeah, sure. So uh, this week, research has been released that bumblebees are speeding up the flowering of plants, which I thought was pretty awesome. Uh, so due to climate change, spring is occurring earlier and we see temperatures that are more like summer, as we can feel right now. Uh, so yeah. plants uh, are flowering around like mid-April when they shouldn't or traditionally flower until about late May or June-ish. And it turns out the reason for this is because of the lovely bumblebees. So during the colder months, uh, bumblebees sort of go into a kind of hibernation where uh, in some species, the hive uh, huddles around the queen bee to keep her warm. In other species, it's just the queen who sort of buries underground and hibernates over the winter. 
And some beekeepers have actually seen that some hives have changed entirely and just go throughout the whole winter uh, using the nectar from non-native plants. Uh, but anyway, for okay. the hibernating bees, their hibernation ends when the temperatures increase. It's just an automatic thing. Temperature rises, they come out of hibernation. Problem is, the bees are waking up earlier with all the climate change and the plants are not yet flowering. This could mean that the bees have got no nectar to source, so no food, and the bees risk dying out. So it would also mean that the flowers die out because if the bees die out, there's no pollination, etc., etc. So it seems the bees have found a way to make the plants flower earlier to suit them both. Uh, so the bees use their mouth parts to pinch a bit into the leaf, uh, into the leaf of the plant, sorry, and the resulting damage stimulates the production of new flowers. Pretty cool. Uh, so yeah. again, they always test these things and I like looking into their testing. So they looked at some bitten mustard plants and they flowered 14 days earlier than non-bitten mustard plants. So in the same area, they had the same conditions. It's just one of them was bitten by the bees. The other one wasn't. And 14 days earlier. Uh, but tomato plants go even better. Tomato plants flowered 30 days earlier. So a huge difference there, especially when you think yeah. that a honeybee actually only lives for about 130 days. Those 30 days extra tomato plants would make all of the difference to them. Yeah. Uh, what's also interesting about this, or I found it interesting, is uh, scientists have tried to imitate it and replicate the effect too, manually in a lab. Uh, and while they did see an effect, it was not as effective as what it was seen with the bee bite. So they're investigating further to see if it was... Um, if their manipulated damage maybe wasn't as accurate as the bees, maybe it was in the slightly wrong place or something, or maybe it's something to do with the chemical. So I was wondering, maybe it's something to do with the bee's saliva. Like when they bite it, they leave a bit of their saliva, which stimulates the flowering, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I thought yeah, that was interesting. Maybe the enzymes in their saliva or something. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, yeah. it's pretty nice to hear that the bees are able to do a little something to help themselves because... They definitely need to survive. And remember, yeah. guys listening, bees are the good ones. They won't sting you unless they're threatened. They are the fluffy ones and they hide their legs when they fly. Uh, wasps are the nastier ones. They sting anytime, multiple times. They have the smoother bodies and they look really bright and yellow. But still, leave them alone. They're still important because they eat pests and stuff. Uh, but yeah, help the bees. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 hard to underestimate. Un, sorry, understate how important bees are to ecosystems. We do a number of lessons on it at school, don't we? But it's it's frighteningly how important they are to the the pollination of so many of our food crops. It's just yeah, we 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 need to support the bees in any way we can. Definitely amazing stuff. Right, okay. So this week. I thought, well, as I've been doing pretty much paleontology the whole of this season, I'd finish off with a kind of paleontology <laughs> uh, story. Uh, and this one uh, came out a couple of days ago, looking at the impact or the extinction of the dinosaurs. So most people, whether they're scientists or not, are kind of aware that the dinosaurs were killed off by an asteroid impact uh, about 65 million years ago. And... Um, because it's kind of just in popular culture and I'm not sure how it's ended up in popular culture, but I think it may be because it's such a fascinating thing and, you know, apocalyptic events seem to be uh, very, very interesting just to the general population. Everyone seems to be aware of it. There were, 
so there's, there's been a lot of research into looking at uh, that event. It's often um, known as the KT extinction event. So it occurred between the Cretaceous and tertiary periods in, ge in the geological timescale. Um, and this uh, new research that's been done has been involved actually visiting the crater site, which we, which we know where it is, uh, and also using some computer simulations based on the geological evidence to model the, and recreate that asteroid impact to see why it was so deadly. Because it, when we look at the fossil record, 75% of all species of uh, animals on Earth um, went extinct at that point. Now, that's not even the big... That's not the biggest extinction event. The Permian, uh, the end Permian extinction event was even bigger. That's the biggest ever extinction event. And that was 95% of all species <laughs> on, on Earth went extinct at that point. Um, but the one about dinosaurs was still a whopper at uh, 75%. So basically what, what they found from this was a, a number of things all came together to make this asteroid impact particularly deadly. One, the angle at which the asteroid came in. It came at an inclination of 60 degrees. The rock, uh, and this, this exacerbated the, the, the clim climatic fallout, uh, the, the amount of stuff that was pushed up into the air and forced around the Earth that uh, was impacted by that 60-degree inclination. Uh, also, the type of rock um, that it hit contained huge amounts of um, sulfur, from the mineral gypsum. And when this mineral was thrown high up into the atmosphere, it mixed with water vapor and produced what we call a global winter, which is where the sunlight cannot penetrate the atmosphere. So plants begin to die off and then animals that die off from the cold or they can't find their f any food to eat. So it, it, the, the angle of, of attack uh, uh, combined with the rock that it hit um, ensured that basically this this event not only was it devastating upon its impact, but it was prolonged and and uh, really quite damaging to all living things around at the time. So yeah, really really interesting um, work on that. And there's some great um, videos which I will post on the Instagram page, uh, looking at the idea of um, and showing the computer modeling they did and how much damage it did. It's really really interesting. Um, but there's you know at school we've always done work on on impact craters of dropping their balls into sand, I think, but this is some really sophisticated modeling work and it was, it's published in the journal Nature Communication. So it's not, it's not a small study. It's, it's a very prominent study because it's in a very big journal there. I wonder if we could now modify the experiment that we do to do an angle thing as well, rolling it down a ramp or something. Yeah. Yeah. That would, yeah, that would be worth a shot actually. I mean, it's quite, yeah, you could see how much, how much debris had moved across the sand tray, depending on the angle that you did it. I mean, to be looking at some other studies that have been done on this and, and having studied this myself during my time at university, there are other c contributing factors to dinosaur extinction. Many think that based on the fossil record and, and things, they were on their way out anyway. They were struggling around this time. There was huge volcanic eruptions down in India at this time, which would have been affecting the atmosphere. The asteroid was probably the final blow for the dinosaurs, but... In, it, it was yeah the the seventy five percent of all living things was definitely impacted by the prolonged nature of of this assault from this asteroid. So yeah, um, just out of interest, I mean, uh, all, anyone who knows geology knows that rocks are arranged in kind of layers. 
uh, one layer builds on top of another. So the oldest layers are at the bottom and the youngest layers at the top. Now, if you travel around the world and you, fi you find the rocks that are the age of the Cretaceous tertiary boundary, you always, wherever you find this boundary, you find what uh, a very thin layer of a mineral called iridium. And iridium is found hardly found on earth there's very small amounts in the earth's crust but it's very very abundant in asteroids and basically what happened when the asteroid collided um in uh the yucatan peninsula in mexico um that asteroid vaporized and went up into the atmosphere and then began to settle down all around the earth as it began to find dust, began to fall and settle and build this very thin layer of rock, which has now been preserved all around the world. But um, we, the actual uh, impact crater from from the um, asteroid impact that killed it is called the Chicxulub uh, crater, and half of it is on the land on the Yucatan Peninsula on the north of Mexico, and the other half of it is under the ocean. And the Mayans actually built this sort of uh, used the under these tunnels and caverns that were built by the asteroid impact. The rock was deformed by the asteroid impact uh, as part of their civilization. They used it as their water supply and, their, and storage space and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's crazy stuff. And yeah, we haven't had an asteroid impact of that size for a very, very long time. Um, well, since then, really, of that of that nature, and you know, we, Earth is in the middle of a firing line of asteroids. They do ping by us all the time, um, relatively close, but nothing for us to worry about in our lifetimes. But yeah, you know, when they hit, the severity of it seems to be basically what angle does it ha hit at, and also what rock does it hit when it lands. Those two things seem to be the main causes of whether it causes a minor extinction or a massive business. And also, obviously, the size of the asteroid. If it's a big enough one, it doesn't matter what angle it's coming in at, it's going to wipe out, it's going to wipe out everything. But uh, smaller ones, I think, depend on the angle. So, yeah, that was awesome. that one. So extinctions are going to happen. It's just a question of how many <laughs> when an asteroid hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you, know, it's, you only have to look at the surface of uh, planets and moons that don't have atmospheres to see how often they get, they get hit. Um, you know, uh, I remember back in well, long, 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 long time ago, back in 96, 97, when Jupiter was hit by an asteroid. It was a ma major event. Um, I'm not sure you might be a bit too young yeah, to remember Yeah, I don't know about that, sorry. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, if you can Google it and find it, it was a ma major event and it, it was huge. This asteroid was heading right for Jupiter and it, and it was captured on, on, on camera and stuff. It was really, really awesome. good. But, yeah, we're basically, we're, we're in a shooting gallery and... and so far, in, in all the since last 65 million years or so, most of them have missed us. We, we get hit by small ones all the time and very tiny ones literally raining down on us. But big ones, they don't come by very often. Um, but when they do, they have a you know, big, big impact on, on life on Earth. Okay, good, right. Name size jokes time. Okay, time for lame science Yay. jokes for the very last no. time. The very last time. Okay, you, re Bring you ready up. for these? Okay, right. 
these are a little bit out there. I mean, they're, they're, they're scraping the barrel of, of lame jokes here. So, did you hear one about recycling triplets? No. Their, name, their names are Polly, Ethar, uh, and Eve. <laughs> I do actually like that one. <laughs> yeah, not really. yeah, that's a regular one. And this one's even worse. Okay, here we go. Yeah, let's just find it here. Right. Did you hear about the famous microbiologist who visited 30 different countries and spoke six different languages? He was a man of many cultures. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that one too. <laughs> Went out, went out on a good one. Went out yeah, on a good, good. Okay. Right then. So. Amazing science fact of the week. Okay. Time for Katie's fact of the Yay. week. So my science fact, uh, again, it does come with a little bit of a story, I'm afraid. So, uh, well, We've been sunning ourselves over the half term. Uh, I could hear a couple of the kids next door playing a game that I know lots of kids do in swimming pools where you both duck under the water. One person says something and the other person tries to guess what it is. And it never really sounds very clear, does it? But that's because of my science fact of the week. The fact that sound can travel up to four times faster in water than through air. Four times faster. Yeah, four times, four times faster. Uh, so once you know how sound travels, it doesn't actually come as that much of a surprise. Uh, so sound is a vibration uh, of your eardrum caused by particles in the air hitting it. Uh, and particles like gas are very, very far apart. So they've got to move quite a long distance in order to pass on the vibration from the object to your eardrum. But particles in a liquid are much closer together. Therefore, they don't have to move as far. Therefore, the time is reduced. So, yep, sounds can travel up to four times faster in water than through air. And it can travel fastest Even in solids. Even faster in solids, well. yep. So and when you ask that question to a year seven, when you put that question, they always, always, always say gas always. is the fastest every single time right. because because they their association with sound is sound in the air, which is what you know because where we talk, they don't think about sound traveling through other objects, and and they're always like, oh, no way, not not. In I love solid. it though. So yeah, <laughs> I it's really, that. <laughs> yeah, they're great moments. Okay, great, brilliant fact. Okay, right, so um. You said you've been watching a film. Has there you been up to anything else this week, entertainment-wise? Uh, I've been carrying on reading my book. I've got a really good part. I highly recommend it, guys. Wool, uh, Hugh something. I can't remember who. I'm sorry. Uh, really good. Uh, walking my dog a lot now that we're able to get out of a little bit more. Still not loads, but that's quite nice. Uh, and just playing random games, really, and just, just having a chat with my housemates, people who live here. Yeah. Awesome. Nothing much, I'm afraid. How yeah. about you? I've, well, um, yeah, I'm, I'm working, still working my way through Red Dead Redemption Two. Get almost at the end now. Um, sort of play that almost every night till I go midnight <laughs> and I wake up in the morning really tired. Um, but uh, this, I, I, I caught a film. I'm, I'm normally like whenever there's a, a film about, I've got a little obsession with time travel. It's, it's a thing I've had. I think ever since I was a little kid, really. I think I've always had since watching Back to the Future. I've had this obsession with time travel. So whenever there's a film come out um, about time travel, I always try and try and check it out. And then I like I pick apart the the mechanics of the time travel and and whether it, whether it could work and whether it's 
whether it's based on any actual sort of science or is it just made up to suit the narrative and stuff. And I was flicking through the channels last night. And I came across a film called Project Almanac. Right. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, it's all found footage. So it's all, it's all like shaky cam all, all through a all camcorder type stuff, you know, like, like, like um, Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield. Yeah. That type of stuff. But uh, it's about a group of um, high school students in America who, stumble across one of their dad who went missing his uh, physics work and realised that he was trying to build this machine. So his son kind of finishes the machine and realises it's a time machine. It's, it allows him to jump back in time. At the beginning, only a few minutes, and then uh, he fiddles the machine and gets it to come back forever. And they, they go back and they play the lottery and, and get money and make, make, make themselves popular at school because they roll up in, like, you know, Maseratis and things. And, uh, you know, they, they basically play time. They play time for their own their own benefit, but when when they when they get start getting back to their own time, they realise the butterfly effect has come into play, and uh, they've changed a lot of things that were but that weren't happening before. So one tiny little thing, just by speaking to one person or, or changing one tiny thing, has a ripple effect through time and, and changes many many bigger things. So for example, you know, they 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 did something that caused one guy to accidentally break his leg. He then didn't play in the final basketball game. The team then lost the fight, missed out on the finals. The, the dad of one of the players who, who would have been at the final didn't go to the final, so flew a plane and then caused that plane to crash and killed hundreds of <laughs> people. So it has this knock-on knock on butterfly effect, which is technically kind of, I suppose, in the, in the sort of mechanics of time travel is true. But there were a few things in it that were really annoying me and I was getting very frustrated and angry at the TV. I was sort of shouting and my wife was getting annoyed because I was shouting, at me, that couldn't happen, that's ridiculous, where's that gone? And I was getting all, all wound up over it. So time travel movies have that weird effect on me where I kind of get really into the mechanics of it and upset if they don't follow the kind of sort of rules of physics and things that are associated with time travel. Because time travel is, backwards time travel is is not, really when you deal with physics is not it's probably never going to happen forward time travel is actually quite not that difficult theoretically to do but backwards time travel uh, as our understanding of science is at the moment is just not possible so when it's in the movies it, it has a lot of leeway you can play with the rules a little bit but there still has to be this kind of grounding in logic and 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 it, some films follow it, some don't. So, um, yeah, and some people love it. Avengers Endgame take on time travel, others don't. Some, you know, some like, some like Back to the Future, some don't. I, I kind of I pick and choose the best bits of all of them. So yeah, uh, yeah. So that if you if you fancy checking it out, I think it's on. It was on Film Four. I'm sure it's around on some What's platforms it called again? and things. Uh, yeah. uh, a Project Almanac, and it's definitely not the best time travel movie ever, but it's worth it's worth checking out. Also watched a really cool show on Amazon Prime called Upload. It's a new show about set in the future where just before, if you know you're ill or if you know you're about to die, you can upload your consciousness into a into a digital reality where you can live out uh, your life as an avatar of yourself. And, it, and depending on how much money you have, depends on the quality of the upload you get. And you can, but you can have contact with the people in the real world through like vr headsets and stuff they can come and visit you and you can talk to them and and um uh, yeah and then 
until you stay in there basically until they develop a way of bringing your consciousness back into a body and it's really quite clever and quite funny and quite well done and i, I was quite impressed with that so that's worth checking out on amazon prime as that's well upload yeah really good okay right then so that brings us to the end of season one of the bowtime podcast i mean when when we started this out it was kind of like well i don't know what it was going to be really but um it, it's definitely evolved into something that i've really enjoyed yeah, doing. I, I don't know what you feel. It. it's one of the highlights of my week <laughs> yeah it's really really good i mean it's kind of evolved from I think the first episode, when I listen back on it, it was got, even though it's only 10 episodes, the first episode feels a bit rough and crude now. And I think we've kind of got a bit slicker at it and a bit better. And I really enjoy doing it. And I'm I'm looking forward to coming back into se- with season two. And it, not too far away. We're not going to have a big, too big a gap, I don't think. But um, come back with some new, with some new, um, new sections, new new yep, things definitely. to try got out. Yeah, a few ideas. Um, and, <laughs> Because we've definitely definitely run out of science jokes now. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. <laughs> and yeah, we've got, yeah, and we've been chatting about some ideas that we're going to bring into season two. So we hope everyone listening there has enjoyed this season of the podcast, and because we've really loved uh, delivering it to you, uh, and we hope you'll come back to us when we start season two in the not too Please distant do. future. So, yeah. So. Uh, uh, if you want to say bye to everyone, yeah, uh, Katie. Uh, thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, if you've got any suggestions, please do let us know. Um, we hope that you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we have enjoyed making it. Yeah, amazing. And don't forget, uh, follow us on Instagram. We'll be updating you when season two will be coming online. Uh, you can send questions on there for us to answer in season two. Like I said, Katie said with suggestions, you can put them on the podcast. Podcast is definitely the Instagram page is definitely the best way of getting in touch with us in terms of this podcast. So until then, stay safe, take care. Stay safe. See you later. Bye. Bye.